Hello and welcome. Today is April the 7th, 2021. My name is Terry. I am a nurse educator and a CPR instructor. Welcome to my podcast. Here is where I get you to recognize your health concerns and encourage you to go see the doctor or to go to the nearest ER. Good health promotion is what I'm here for. And if you're here for it too, then stay tuned. To connect with me or any of my services, click the link if it appears on the platform you're listening to me on, or you can email me at pchealthed at gmail.com. My aim is to help you improve your life and live well. So before we dive into a few of the the topics that we're going to be talking about, as mentioned in the title, I want to give a special shout out to all the podcast platforms that carry the Nurse Informant Show. If you're listening to me on Apple, Google, or um, CastBox, or Anchor, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys, and I hope to have a long-standing relationship with all my listeners. So let's get started. We're going to first talk about a, a little bit about a National Walking Day. Today is National Walking Day, and every year on the first Wednesday in April is National Walking Day, and it's exactly how it, what it means and, it, and how it sounds. It's a day to celebrate the easiest way to be the healthiest version of you. Walking for 30 to 60 minutes a day may sound like it isn't much, but studies have shown that it can drastically improve your health and even help prevent ailments such as type 2 diabetes, cancer, and heart disease. So if it is bad weather in your area, you can always walk in place or around the house. If you're afraid to get out because of COVID, you can always walk around your backyard, your front yard, or just possibly down your street and back or whatever. And so we're going to um, go ahead and go into um, talking about the COVID variants. So just when we thought that we were clear, then here comes this COVID variant where the COVID um, G, um, infection or, excuse me, virus has mutated. And so I'm going to be reading you a little bit off of the CDC website because I feel that it's important for us to be um, educated on what's going on. A lot of us don't have time to sit down and read um, because we're so busy doing a life, living, working, etc. And maybe you're listening to me uh, in transit. And so I'm going to read um, what the CDC says about the variants of the virus that causes COVID-19. Now, this article or their updated information was placed on their website on April the 2nd. And so I'm certain that something has changed in between then. Once that change is available, I will bring that to you as well. Or you can go to cdc.gov coronavirus 2019 and everything you need to know about it will be available to you. 
So information about the characteristics of this variant is rapidly emerging. Scientists are working to learn more about how easily they spread, whether they could cause more serious um, or severe illness, and whether currently authorized vaccines will protect people against them. So what do the CDC know? They know that the viruses constantly change through mutation and the new variant of a virus um, are expected to occur over time. Sometimes new variants emerge and disappear. Other times new variants emerge and persist. Multiple variants of the viruses of the virus that caused uh, COVID-19 has been uh, documented and in the United States and globally during this pandemic. The virus that causes COVID-19 is a type of coronavirus, a large family of viruses. Coronaviruses are named for the crown-like spikes on their surfaces. Scientists monitor changes in the virus, including changes to the spikes on the surface of the virus. These studies, including genetic analysis of the virus, are helping scientists understand how changes to the virus must affect how it spreads and, excuse me, might affect how it spreads and what happens to people who are infected with it. Multiple variants of the virus that causes COVID-19 and circulating globally and within the United States in collaborations with SARS-CoV-2 Interregency inter Group, uh, which is called the SIG. Um, it, there is, they're monitoring this variant in this virus. Several different organizations and departments is monitoring this virus is what they have here. And so they have four different variants, it looks like. And there is a variant that is called B117. This variant was first identified in the U.S. in December 2020. It was initially dictated in the U.K. Then they have a B1, uh, B.1.351. This variant was first identified in the U.S. at the end of January 2021. It was initially detected in South Africa in December 2020. Then they have a third variant called the P.1. This variant was first detected in the U.S. in January 2021. P.1 was initially identified in travelers from Brazil who were tested during COVID routine screening at the airport in Japan in early January. Um, up, there's two more. Then they have B.1427 and B.14, B.1.429. Now, these two variants were first identified in California in February of 2021 and was classified as VOCs in March 2021. B as in Victor, O as in Olive, and C as in California. And that uh, actually stands for a variant of concern. So a VOC is something that is highly concernable, okay, or uh, classified as uh, something that needs uh, close, more close attention uh, or research or 
uh, documentation. Um, and so the variants seem to spread more easily and quickly, uh, uh, quickly than other variants, which may lead to cases of COVID-19. An increase in the number of cases will put more strain on health care resources and lead to more hospitalizations and potentially deaths. So far, studies suggest that antibodies generated through vaccinations with currently authorized vaccines recognize these variants. This is being closely investigated and more studies are on the way. Rigorous and increased compliance and with public health mitigation strategies such as vaccinations, physical distancing, the use of masks, hand hygiene, and isolation and quarantine is essential to limit the spread of the virus that causes COVID-19 and protect public health. And so what they don't know is how widely these new variants have spread. They don't know how the disease caused by these new variants differ from the disease caused by other variants that are currently circulating. And they don't know how these variants may affect existing therapies, vaccines, and tests. And so what this means is that um, public health officials are studying these variants variants quickly to learn more about how to control their spread and they want to understand whether the variants spread more quickly um, or more easily from person to person or if it causes milder or more severe disease in people um, if they are detected by currently available viral tests and if they respond to medicines currently being used to treat people for COVID-19. And they also want to know if, um, or, you know, trying to figure out or study if the cha uh, the variant changes the effectiveness of the COVID-19 um, vaccines. And so the last, um, the conclusion of this um, information is that the CDC is working to monitor the spread of identified variants characterize emerging viral variants variants, and expand its ability to find new SARS-CoV-2 variants. The CDC is collaborating with the EPA to confirm that disinfectants on EPA um, list inactivate these var variant viruses. So they're getting with the EPA and trying to see does the uh, disinfectants that we're currently using to um, disinfect the COVID, will it, will it disinfect these, um, other, uh, variant viruses as well? And of course they'll provide us with updates via website, um, TV news, etc. And so I just wanted to make sure that you guys got the most updated information related to COVID-19 and the variants. There's so much more in the news that, um, I could be talking about, but, at the risk of my own mental health, I like to stay neutral in all things and just stick to health and wellness. And um, COVID-19 is one of the biggest concerns still today. So I will stay with that and probably talk about what um, 
we can do just to stay healthy. I know spring is coming and there's been a little bad weather here, but for the most part, the sun has been shining. It's been feeling absolutely great outside. And so we've been just using the same precautions with wearing our mask, keeping our social distance and washing our hands. And um, with that, I'm going to end this podcast by letting you guys listen to a video about um, uh, CPR and um, talking about the five fears of CPR and why people are basically afraid to do CPR. I do like, I would like to mention here um, before I play this video that the new um, suggestions for giving hands only CPR is to make sure that if you come up on a victim who needs to be rescued via CPR, you wear a mask and you cover the victim's face with a cloth or a mask so that you can decrease your um, chances of being um, exposed to COVID. They also suggest that you do hands-only CPR only and just, you know, press hard and fast in the center of the chest until help arrive. If you have a cell phone, you must let the operator know where you are located. There are so many different cell phone towers. Sometimes it can be difficult for them to locate you if they are able to do that within their systems. And so I don't um, know whether or not all um, operators in the uh, emergency medical centers have that ability capability however if you call for help um to uh get uh a um uh, ambulance to you where you are trying to rescue a victim you must tell them your location first so that they could go ahead and dispatch that help for you so i'm gonna uh, play this video and then we will conclude the podcast i thank you so much for listening and let me get it started Now let's cover something that I call the five fears of rescue. This is a a problem with training in that when people have these fears and they don't get rid of them, in many cases, it stops people from rescuing. So let's address them right away, get them out of the way. And then when you learn your skills, you'll have the confidence to keep going and to make a difference when an emergency occurs. So what are these five fears? Well, number one, What about being unsure of your skills? I don't know if I'm going to know what to do. And if I don't know what to do, maybe I'll do it wrongly. You just never know. Number two, what if I make the condition of the patient worse? What if I hurt them? What if I kill them because I did something wrong? Number three, what if I get sued? What if somebody thinks I did something wrong or I did hurt them and I suffer a lawsuit as a result? Number four, what if there's blood or body fluids and those blood or body fluids contain a disease and I catch that disease? And number five, what if it's too dangerous? What if there's an electrical cord on the ground? What if there's a high power line? What if I'm in an intersection with multiple cars crashing and it's slippery and I become a victim too? These are all quite legitimate sounding at first glance, but stay with me. I think we can get rid of them. And when we do, you'll be empowered to rescue. So let's get right at it. Number one, 
unsure of your skills is a problem if there's no way to refresh your training. See, we designed our video-based education to be available when it's best for you, to be ready to be self-paced when you're ready to learn, not when an instructor is ready to teach. So having the ability to go back to the training library and refresh yourself whenever you need to is a great way to get rid of the unsurety of skills. Number two, what if I make their condition worse? Well, you have to realize that when a person dies, no breathing, no pulse, they're clinically dead at least. They don't get worse, they just remain that way unless somebody gets involved. So when we have an individual who's not breathing and doesn't have a pulse, and we do CPR compressions, we're sometimes afraid that we might break ribs or separate cartilage or do something wrong. But you cannot make a dead person worse. But if you try with CPR, we might just buy them time and make their condition better. Number three, what if I get sued because someone thinks I did something wrong? The good news is since 1985, the Good Samaritan Act has not failed. It's protected people and immunized them from lawsuit. And it's only when people do something because they mean to hurt the individual that they get into trouble. As long as you don't receive any compensation for doing good service or good work, as long as you don't mean to do anything wrong, and as long as you don't go above and beyond your level of training, you're covered under the Good Samaritan Act. And that's reciprocal in all 50 states. So don't worry about lawsuits when it comes to the Good Samaritan Act. Number four, what if they have a bloodborne disease? When we have gloves and a CPR shield with a one-way barrier, we keep the bugs or the pathogens on their side and we keep ourselves on the other side. And as long as we have this personal protective equipment, we don't have to worry about contracting a disease. And you say, yeah, but I don't always have that with me. You know, good research has come back that even if we do compressions on the chest over and over again, which is called compression-only CPR, without rescue breaths, especially on adults within the first three to five minutes, it's actually helping them at least as much as full CPR. Now, if you know how to do CPR, go ahead and do it. But if you don't, or if you don't feel confident, or you don't have your personal protective equipment, hands-only CPR still will benefit the patient. And number five, what if it's too unsafe? Now, this is the legitimate reason not to rescue. You would still call 911. You still get emergency medical services on the way. But if that scene is dangerous, we don't need another patient. We should not be going into something where we become injured or killed. Therefore, we're unable to rescue. We should stay at a safe distance until the scene is safe. And once the scene is safe, now we can go in and rescue. You see, these five fears stop 90% of rescuers from ever using their skills. When you get rid of those fears, you insert empowerment. You become confident and you take away the reasons why you shouldn't get involved. Now, go forth and rescue and let's begin your training. Okay, guys, so that is a video from Pro CPR or Pro Trainings, and they are absolutely excellent. And with that, I will send you over to B as in boy, bit.ly forward slash CPRMC. 
and you want to go ahead and take that course online with ProCPR. As a matter of fact, the whole course is free unless you need a certificate. Once you take the test and um, decide that you're going to be uh, CPR certified by certificate, then that's when you pay. So you can go through the whole course and learn everything you need to know about CPR and first aid. And then if when you end the test and you get ready to um, um, print your certificate, then you'll pay the amount, which is only about $39, $49 or something like that. And they will actually send you a hard copy of your certification in the mail. So again, I'll put the link in in a description of this podcast so that you can refer back to it. But it is B-I-T as in Tom dot L-Y forward slash C-P-R-M-C. And I want you guys to be um, trained and know what to do in case of an emergency. Because even if you have to wait five minutes, that would be the longest five minutes you ever had to wait for someone to come help you rescue your loved ones. And so with that, again, my name is Nurse Terry. I hope that you come back to listen to me. Please follow me. Subscribe to my channel, uh, my podcast. Click the links in my bio that I leave. And um, you guys take care of yourself. I'll be back. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.